such a pleasure to be here tonight. I have some things I want to share with you that are very meaningful to me and I think will be to you. I love the Bible. I love to speak the Word. And the thing that really counts in life is what we know about the Word of God and how we implement it in our life. Would you agree? There's a great scripture that I want to read to you tonight. It's from the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now, this is a great scripture. This was written by the wisest and richest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. How many of you know who wrote this? Who could tell me? He said it, man. Solomon. Remember that. He was the wisest person that ever lived. So I love to read the Proverbs. I read Proverbs every day because I need wisdom to do what I do, right? The truth is we all need wisdom to do what all of us do, if the truth were known, right? Okay. We're going to talk tonight about the ten little foxes that spoil the vines. Have any of you ever been over to Israel? A few of you have, okay. I got an opportunity to go many years ago. Uh, This friend of mine called me and he said, look, I'm going to go to Israel in two weeks. He said, you want to go? And I said, all my life I wanted to go. There's only one problem. I don't have (laughs) $3,700. He said, no, I'm calling you because I want you to go with me and I want to pay your way. I said, let me pray about that. I prayed about 10 seconds and I heard from God, right? (laughs) I told God, I said, now God, I need a few miracles here to get my passport and to get everything in order in the next few days. And I mean, it was amazing. They had just opened up a new passport store here in Houston. And I go, and I'm the only guy there. There's no line, nothing. And downtown, the post office, there's like 300 people in line waiting. It'll take you three days in line just to get through up to the front to get the process started. And so I walk into this passport office, um, and I look up here on the wall, and they have a picture of Jerusalem, the holy city. And I looked at that, I thought, man, this has got to be God, right? They have a picture of Jerusalem right here, and that's where I'm going. And she said, "Uh, where are you going? I said, right there. That's where I'm going. She said, oh, really? And I said, yeah. She said, well, I'll help you. I said, okay. And she said, "Uh, look, it usually takes quite a while. And I said, look, I need this within two weeks. She said, I have a friend in Washington, D.C. that I know personally. I'll get on the phone and talk to her. We'll have this thing back here in two days for you. Like, there is a God in heaven, right? (laughs) See, here's the deal. What God is in is easy, right? The Bible says, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light, see? And so when we get overwhelmed and we get overburdened, it's usually because we're trying to do it in the flesh. But when God does it, it just kind of all falls in place. It's just kind of amazing, okay? I'm really excited about sharing this with you all tonight because I was over there in Israel and I noticed it's, it's a lot like Houston. When I went, it was like the last week of December and the first week of January, and that was in the year 1999. And what was that deal we had where the earth was going to come apart and everything in the year 2000? What was that called? What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's like everybody was saying, man, what are you going to do if, if the whole world comes apart and, you know, we have all this stuff, the world's going to end and everything in the year 2000? And I said, think about this. I'm going to be in the holy city where on the earth would you rather be if things run amok? So it's like, I'm not worried, man. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be in God's city. I think he can protect his city. So I went over there, and the world didn't come to an end. I had a good time. But one of the things I noticed over there, their temperature and their seasons are almost identical to ours. And typically, like, we're in the dead of winter, and it's 75 degrees out there, right? 
I can handle the winter in southeast Texas, right? And so we were over there, and it was the same deal. It was like 75, and they said that even in the summer, it's like 100 degrees several days in a row like it is here in Houston, in the Houston area. And so we saw these vineyards everywhere, and I remember the scripture. It says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. And I studied about this and realized that that what would happen is at night, these little foxes, because it's so dry, and there's very little water over there. In fact, when you go out to eat, they don't serve you water. You have to ask for water. They will give you a glass of water, but it's a small glass, and they really look at you when you ask for water <laughs> because water's in short supply over there. They're like, he must not be from here. He's drinking water. <laughs> it's the first way they know. But <clears throat> water's in short supply, and so these foxes would sneak in these vineyards at night, and they'd chew away on the vines. They have these little teeth about a quarter of an inch long, they chew and chew and chew away, and they'd get that sap for sustenance, okay? And so <clears throat> I thought a lot about this, that there would be no big earth-shaking thing that would happen in the vineyards. There would be no blout, I mean no blight, no drought, okay? No big storms or anything, but the vines would begin to die. And so if you got down close to the ground and inspected the vines, you'd find that the little foxes had come in at night and chewed and chewed away and destroyed the actual life right out of the vineyard. And I thought about this in respect to us in our life. Most of us can handle the big things that come our way in life. But it's the day-to-day minor irritations that drive us crazy with each other. Is that true? Don't be too holy now. We can be honest, okay? (laughs) See, when big things happen, we kind of like regroup and kind of like get together. And we get on our knees and we pray and we ask God to help us and everything. But it's the day-to-day little things that drive us crazy with each other, okay? And so I want to talk about that tonight. I was talking to our pastor last week, and he said, I want you to preach next Wednesday night, and I want you to talk about the ten little foxes. So I said, okay. So I came up with ten different types of foxes that spoil the vines in our life. And see, we're hooked into Jesus, who is the true vine, right? And so what the devil wants to do is chew away and gnaw away on our connection with Christ and destroy our lives by doing so. But it's so slowly and it's so subtle, it's almost like you don't even know it what's happening. So a lot of times the attacks of Satan are so subtle, we don't even know that we're under attack, but we are under attack. I'm going to talk about this in some different areas tonight. The first fox is the fox of disrespect. Don't you hate it when people talk disrespectfully to you? You know, it just irritates me to no end. I'm sorry I'm not that godly, okay? I don't let it just blow off of me, but it bothers me when people treat me disrespectfully. And I treat everybody respectfully. One of the things that I don't like is that people will say, well, you know, you have to earn my respect. That's really not true. I give respect to everybody, to people I don't even know a thing about. Why? Because I'm a respectful person, right? That's why I give respect, see? And so in 1 Peter 2.17, it says, show respect to everyone, everybody. See? So I respect all the musicians. Two of our musicians here have gotten several awards. Do you know that? So I give all of them the same respect because they're all honorable and worthy in God's eyes. Okay? And they all deserve respect. Remember this. What you don't respect will always move away from you. So if you treat people disrespectfully, how do they get even? They pull away. They move away from you. So if you want friendships and relationships, you have to show respect. What is disrespect? It's kind of an attitude of defiance, of snobbery. 
it, it shows like when you don't listen to other people and you interrupt them and you don't ask for their advice or even worse, you don't even take their advice when they're ready to give it. It's thinking that you have a better way of doing things than the other people around you and that you're probably smarter than them. And you, you can just see this in people's face and in their attitude when they're disrespectful to you. You know, some of the things that bother me, like in a church, is the things we respect and don't respect. We talk a lot about healing, and we read all kinds of books on healing, but we really don't respect health. And the reason I know that is because if we did, we would experience eating properly, exercising, doing all the things that give us health and promote our body's healing. And so we have to be careful in understanding what we really respect and what we don't respect. See, so it's kind of like people that sneer at the prosperity message. I hear people talk about it and they're like, I'm not in that prosperity stuff. Oh, but you want God to prosper you, right? <laughs> if you don't respect the prosperity message, how can you become prosperous? Duh, it's a no-brainer, okay? <clears throat> So you can say amen anytime you want to. It's okay. See, when you say amen to a preacher, it's like saying sick him to a dog. And we just get even more turned on. Okay, so just get with it tonight, all right? You can only learn from the things and the people that you respect. So we must give respect in order to attract other people to us. Okay, so the first fox is disrespect. But we're shown in the Bible, 1 Peter 2, 17, it says, show respect to everyone. How much is everyone? everyone? Everyone. See, what the Bible says, it means. You know, I changed my life when I was in my 20s. I was about 28 years old. And I made a decision that God didn't like. And I decided I would quit believing all the stuff I used to believe. And I would just read the Bible. And whatever the Bible said, I would believe it. Talk about liberating. It was pretty exciting. It changed my whole life, see? So... It would change me in a lot of ways. Like I, I would read the scripture like this, so I'd give everybody respect because it said respect everybody. Okay, the second fox, <clears throat> and this sounds kind of weird, but this is just my deal, okay? <laughs> so I can be weird if I want to. This fox is a fox that is unwilling to be a problem solver. See, we get paid in life to solve problems, do we not? You realize that when you die, there are only two things you'd be remembered for. You'd be remembered for the problems that you solved. And then on the other side, you'd be remembered for the problems you created. See, so what we want to do in life is be a problem solver. It drives me crazy when I talk to people and they have a problem and I'll ask them a few questions and they say, I don't know. I hate it when people tell me, I don't know. See, it's not a problem to not know. It's okay to not know stuff. But it's only a problem if we get that mindset that I don't know stuff, like I'm just innately stupid, see? And one of the things I realized is that when God saved us, you know what he did? He made us smart, not stupid, right? We're made in the image of God. We have the God of the universe living within us to empower us to think, okay, to be creative, to come up with all kinds of ideas and thoughts. And as a counselor, it's like I have to be creative all day long. And I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but because I'm <laughs> obedient to God, see, I just pray. And they'll be talking to me, and I'm like, God, I'm in a lot of trouble. I have no clue what I'm supposed to do here. You know? And they think I'm just sitting there looking so profound and wise that I'm just a fountain of wisdom. But really, I'm not terrified or anything. I'm just totally like relaxed, like, okay, God, if you don't show up, I'm sunk. <laughs> and you know what I find happens? God miraculously shows up. What a surprise. See? 
and God will just give me some little something to say. And it sounds so trivial. And I'll say, well, have you ever thought about X, Y, Z? And they'll say, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard. Like, that's true. <laughs> and, and I've often thought, if people knew the truth about us counselors, you know, that we're not a sage of, of a fountain of wisdom, we're just like everybody else. Except the difference is we've learned to rely upon God, the Holy Spirit, to enlighten our mind and to teach us and tell us what the answers are. See, so if we don't know, we say, you know what? I may not know, but I know who does. So we're going to go to God and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to give us the answer to the problem. And remember this, don't run away from problems. You know why? The bigger the problems you solve, the more money you make and the more people appreciate you and love you. I had open heart surgery about two years ago. I've been in the hospital about 13 days. <clears throat> I'm really ready to get out. I'm going a little stir crazy after 13 days. And I'm talking to this nurse, and I said, well, I need to go get my bill and get prepared to leave. And she said, oh, you're going to be in here a few more days. And I said, trust me, I'm not. <laughs> I intend to get out of here real soon. But I'd like to know what the bill is. I know it's going to be at least $100,000. And she said, oh, honey, it's going to be closer to 200000 because he saved your life. Like, Okay, I guess my life is worth $200,000, right? See, a heart surgeon could get $200,000 for saving your life. But if you break your foot and it costs $8,000 to, to put it in a cast and set it, it's a lot different than setting a bone in your leg and cutting your chest open and replacing arteries and doing all kinds of stuff with your heart. See, so the size of the problem you solve will determine the kind of salary you make, the kind of importance you have with people in life, and the kind of appreciation and respect they give you too. So I want to encourage you to be a problem solver in life. When problems come your way, this is an opportunity for God to show up, right? And show us what he can do. We already know that what we can do is inadequate, and we need what only God can do, right? All right. James 1.5 says, If you need wisdom... If you don't know, it says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. That's good news, isn't it? That's really good news. See, so we're not alone down here, just left here to kind of like suck it up and, and hope we get lucky in life. But we have the God of the universe, the all-powerful Holy Spirit living within us, helping us to be all that he wants us to be and do all he wants us to do. The greatest discovery of my life that I was, was that I was totally inadequate, but God had sent the Holy Spirit to help me be what only he could help me to be. Okay, the third fox, the fox of bad habits. You're thinking, the fox of bad habits? Yeah. All of us have had bad habits in our life, have we not? At least one or two. We can be honest here. Okay. I had a brother who was a chain smoker, and he smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. And because of bad habit, he got lung cancer and he died at 55 years of age. He was the kindest, nicest Christian guy, one of the most wonderful people you'd ever meet in your life. But he had that one bad habit that he wouldn't let go of, and that was smoking. And it killed him in the end. So his life was cut short prematurely. You know, a lot of people say, well, when it's my time, I'm just going to go. Listen, don't say that because you can determine your time. If you decide to walk out here in front of a car, God's not going to stop you. Do you know that? He'll let you get run over, see? So don't blame everything on God. We have free will, and we also have a mind and common sense, see? <clears throat> see, here's what people don't know. 
remember this. You might want to write this down. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. I want to repeat that. The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. Your habits create your future. One night I'd been to church and the pastor was a huge fat guy. If you're fat, don't get mad at me, but I'm going to say the story anyway. I'm a little fat, so I can say the story, okay? I'm modest too. I'm a little fat, okay? <laughs> Every man is right in his own eye, the Bible says. <laughs> we can laugh about it though, right? So anyway, we're sitting down, we're, we're having dinner, and this guy was huge. I mean, he weighed about 400 pounds. I said, you know, I, I don't want to irritate you or, or shame you or embarrass you or anything, but, and I was real young then and stupid, okay? Now I'm a lot more discreet. But I said, uh, how'd you get so big? <laughs> and he looks at me, and he had this steely, ice-cold look in his face. He really was angry, and he said, by going out every night right after church and eating ice cream over pecan pie, just like you and I are doing right now. <laughs> said, wow. I didn't eat ice cream and pie for a long time after that. <laughs> See, but that was a bad habit. See, so if you spend money foolishly, you probably die poor, right? If you save money, you'll probably have some money for retirement. It's the habits that we have, the bad habits that we have, that determine a lot about our life. See, if we're not into exercise and eating properly, we can cut our life short. Or even worse, we still get to live, but we're just in bad shape. And I went, uh, when I went to Israel, it was real interesting because in the Bible, they talk about all the things that happened up on the high places. Now, when they say high places in the Bible, they're not talking about a little 10-foot hill. They're talking about the tops of mountains, okay? And so you would go in this bus. We had about 200 people on this tour. You'd go round and around these mountains, and you'd get about halfway up, and then you couldn't go any farther. And so they'd park the bus, and you'd have to walk these trails all the way to the top. And like half the people there were probably 60 and older, and they had not taken care of themselves, and they didn't get to see the sights because they had these rest stations along the way up to the top with these benches. And I'm walking along, and I think, what are these benches doing here? But after about 500 more yards going up, I realized what they're for. <laughs> it's to take a rest, right? And so these people were resting all the way, and half of them didn't even get to see half the sights we saw on the tour because they physically were not in good enough shape to go. I promised myself right then, okay, and that was 15 years ago, okay, I promised myself then that I would take care of myself, that I would not cut my life short, okay, that I would exercise and eat properly the rest of my life and do everything I could to be able to, to physically enjoy the things that God has put down here on the earth. And also just to do your assignment. You have to be in good health to do your assignment. That's why it's so important to have good physical habits, right? Okay. Larry Bird, a famous NBA player, said that he practiced 500 free throws every morning before breakfast. Like, no wonder he was so good. Duh. Okay. Muhammad Ali was interviewed about how he got in shape for a fight. And he said that three or four months before a fight, he would start jogging. And he would jog four miles a day every day. And he said there was a lot of rain and snow where he lived. But he said if it rained, he just put on a slicker suit and kept on going. If it snowed, he just put on snowshoes and kept on going. And he would do four miles a day in preparation for a fight. And see... So you can either go through life with certain bad habits that you laugh at and you joke about, but you don't do anything about it, 
But these bad habits cost you in the long term. And so what we want to do is ask God to help us develop really good habits. See, like some people get into the habit of being mean, being critical, using harsh words, have anger problems. These are just habitual patterns of behavior. And the Bible has a word for them. It's called strongholds. See, and so what we want to do is tear down all these strongholds and make them captive to the will of God in our life. <clears throat> in Ephesians 4.31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Okay. The next fox is the fox of missed opportunities. You know, I think if we could be disappointed in heaven, one of the things we'd be disappointed about is all the opportunities that God gave us that we did not pick up on and just follow through and do down here on the earth. See, if I know anything, I know that God is always on our side. You believe that? Always on our side. See, and the enemy will do everything in his power to make you believe that God's not on your side, but God's always on your side and always wants the best for you. So God will put opportunities in our life to do good, and then we always get a reward from the, from the people that we did it for, or God will reward us in his own way. <clears throat> and see, these are real subtle, small things that most people take for granted. You know, when I became a counselor, I thought that it would be so difficult and so complex, and they would come to me with, you know, world-class problems, you know. And so when I started counseling, I was almost dumbfounded to find that people came, and sometimes it was really difficult, but with just everyday minor little skirmishes. I thought, I can't believe they're paying money to ask me how to solve this problem. But I took the money. I'm not stupid, right? <laughs> Always take the money. <laughs> I think I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> anyway... <clears throat> moving right along. <laughs> so what I would do is I found that when God gives us opportunities, that we've got to take advantage of those opportunities and reach out and avail ourselves and do the thing he wants us to do. Here's how it works. You get up in the morning and you have coffee. And you have this thought, I should make a cup for my husband or my wife. But you say, eh. And you just kind of like, just put it out of your mind. You don't do it. That's a missed opportunity to do good. Okay, you're sitting that evening watching TV. You decide to get up and have some popcorn or coke. And here's the rest of your family members sitting around. And you get up and get something for yourself. And you think, I probably should ask them if they want anything. But then you don't ask. See, that's another missed opportunity. And as we go through life, there are all kinds of opportunities to do good. But they're so subtle and so small, usually we just gloss over them. Like one of the things I enjoy doing is like when I'm in a line at a red light, and somebody pulls up like out of a strip shopping center and they want to get in and nobody's going to let them in. And I can see them just sitting over there stewing because eight cars have already gone past. Now the lights turn red three different times and they still can't get out. And so I just stop and say, they're like, all right, <laughs> there's a God in heaven, right? <laughs> and they're like so happy and so appreciative. And I thought, that's how easy it is to make somebody happy if you're aware, and if you're sensitive, and if you take the opportunity. So these are all opportunities that God gives us to be a blessing. What's the scripture? It says in Ephesians 5, 16, make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. And then James 4, 17 says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. 
See, so when we have these little thoughts go through our mind and we don't follow through, the Bible says it's a sin. That's pretty amazing that that's in there, isn't it? See, because it's so subtle. Okay, the fifth fox is the fox of a critical spirit. When I was probably 27, 28 years old, this man sort of took me under his wing and discipled me and mentored me, and he was the campus he was the director of Campus Crusade for Christ over 22 states in the United States. He was a great man of God. He was very wealthy, and I was very poor. And so if he was wealthy and I was poor, I'm going to listen to him because he knows something I don't know, right? <laughs> and we used to have this expression growing up, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? See, so he was rich and smart, okay? So I listened to everything he said, and every week we'd get together, and he would just mentor me and talk to me and teach me stuff. And I was like, like a sponge just soaking it up. And I will never forget, the most important thing he ever taught me is he said, the true sign of a carnal Christian is what? A critical spirit. I always remember that. The true sign of a carnal Christian is a critical spirit. That just stayed with me forever. And I've thought about that a million times since then. See, what is a critical spirit? It's when a person attacks someone's personality or character, usually in a blaming fashion, okay? And... Uh, Criticism usually begins with the word you. For example, you should have finished the laundry by now. Our critical statements sound like this. You don't care about what's important to me. Say they use the you word a lot. You only think about yourself. You should be ashamed of what you said. See, it's always you, 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 you. The truth is, the answer to being critical is to take a hard look at ourselves in all the areas we failed ourselves and failed other people in, and guess what that does? Makes us real humble, right? Because we have all failed ourselves and the people we loved in many ways, so we don't have a right to be critical to anybody. A critical spirit is usually the result of pent-up, unresolved anger. Therefore, we need to seek resolution and talk about our unmet needs and expectations that are not fulfilled and determined to grant forgiveness. Okay. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, so we always want to speak words that build people up and not tear people down. And we need to practice that as a way of life. One of my major gifts is I have a gift of encouragement. See, I always try to think of the positive thing. And I, I can be positive, why? Because I have God to rely upon. It's not because I'm smart or clever or anything. But see, when we have God, we have all the resource we need because he will put in our life everything we need when we're ready to receive it in his timing. Okay. The next little fox is a fox of contempt. Con contempt is when you willfully and maliciously intend to insult and psychologically abuse somebody through your words and your body language, like you're lobbing insults right into the heart of this person, okay? These actions are filled with negative thoughts about whether it's a friend, a business partner, your mate in life, your children. You tell them things like they're stupid, they disgust you, they're incompetent. See, these things destroy people. Do you know that? Words can kill people. Words can tear us down. See, and the most important thing we can do is watch our mouth and let only good things from the Word of God come out of our mouth. The Bible says out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. So we want to be a blessing. 
Sometimes I talk to people who fought so much that they don't even remember how they fell in love. They don't remember what they used to love about each other and the, the positive things that they saw in each other. And you recognize this kind of thing, these, this contempt by insults, name-calling, hostile humor, mockery, negative body language. And so what we have to do is stop retaliating, okay? We approach our, our person we're at odds with with precise complaints rather than attacking their character. We express a healthy sense of admiration, the opposite of contempt. That always throws them off. And you know, when people say something negative to me, I always look for some way to agree with them. Because when a person is determined to make you own something, you know, and it's like they're really gonna make you own some kind of fault, I always pray and say, God help me to agree with them as soon as I can. So they may say three or four things that I don't agree with, but the minute they say something I agree with, they say, you know, you're really right about that. I'm really sorry. I know I failed you in that area. And then they're, they're kind of like, you know, it kind of shakes them up because they want to hammer you again, but they don't know what to do <laughs> because now you're modest and you're humble. And so it throws them off guard. You don't play right into them. Okay. See, the best way to neutralize contempt is to stop seeing arguments as a way to retaliate or exhibit our superior moral stance. We approach uh, a person with precise complaints rather than attacking their character. But most of all, we remember Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. See, it's all mental attitude. And, and see what these are. These are what we call mental attitude sins. They're not sins of the flesh, but they're like mental attitude sins. The next one is um, the fox of defensiveness. How do you feel when you get around people and they're real defensive? No matter what you say, they're going to they're say something. You know, they're going to take it wrong. Okay? See, when a person acts contemptuously, the listener being talked to has, feels like they now have a right to get defensive because they want to protect themselves. Like, this stuff isn't true, so I'm going to defend myself. I don't ever try to do that. You know, I'll just say something like, you know, I have a real different perception of what you're talking about here. But, you know, you have a right to feel that way if you want to. See, and that's true. See, it's just their perception. I have my own perception, so I don't have to defend myself. And if you're right, the more you defend yourself, the more it looks like you're not right. So I don't try to defend myself. It's like, oh, you want to be right? Okay, you get to be right. See? And then it just stops all the fighting. So I want to encourage you to not, not be a defensive person. See, um, some characteristics of people that are, that are defensive, they deny responsibility. It wasn't my responsibility. I, don't, I wasn't supposed to do that. It wasn't my job. Or they make all kinds of excuses for why they didn't do something. Uh, they use yes, but statements, okay? And they do a lot of whining. How many of y'all like to be around a whiner? Don't you just hate that? It's like, grow up, baby. <laughs> They're really appreciative when I tell them that. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so we tell ourselves, you know, I just need to calm down. I can't take this personally. I'm upset, but I do care about this person. This is just one moment in our life, and it'll pass. So I need to chill out and relax. Okay. So it works if we don't try to defend ourselves, but we can just be calm and not buy into it. 
The next fox is the fox of stonewalling. How many of y'all know what stonewalling is? Stonewalling is when you talk to a person and they're just like a stonewall. They show no emotion, no reaction. They're like, and you say all kind of mean things to them. They're just like looking at you. They don't say a word. And it makes you real mad. Like, can't you say something? <laughs> like that really is going to evoke a good response, right? <laughs> we get mad like that. We say something like that. See, so it's like just when a person stonewalls, if, if anything, it makes the other person even madder, which makes them stonewall even more. See, and so <clears throat> when you stonewall, you look like a stonewall. So usually someone who is listening reacts to what the speaker's saying. They'll look at the speaker and say something like, yeah, uh I really see it's like we're paying attention. But if you just stonewall, you don't say anything. Um, It really is a way of kind of having power. You can't make me talk. You can't make me react. You can't make me do anything, actually. And so what they'll do is they'll listen for a while, and then they'll just get up, and they'll go into the other room. And if you follow them into the other room, a lot of times they'll go get the car keys, and they'll go for a drive. They're going to show you that you can't make them do anything. And they feel empowered. But it doesn't work, you see. Anything you can talk about, you can heal. But if you don't talk, you can't resolve it. So if you can talk about something and feel the emotion of it, you can always heal it. Ecclesiastes 9, 17 says, The quiet words of a wise person are better than the shouts of a foolish king. Second Chronicles 7, 14 has a great scripture. God spoke to King Solomon and said, If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, so what we want to do is turn to God and say, look, I don't want to fight with you like this. I'm for peace. Can we just be at peace? Can we call a truce here? Okay. Number nine. I call this the know-it-all fox. <laughs> Don't you hate a know-it-all? I mean, I know you're not supposed to hate people. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not that perfect, okay. I really don't hate them. I just kind of don't like to be around them, okay? But see, when you're around a know-it-all, man, they think they're like the source and the fount of wisdom. They know everything. And everything you say, they try to one-up you. Yeah, but, and then they add something else to it. Or they want to argue with you about everything you say. And see, they just have to be right. It amazes me when I counsel people and they say, I just hate being wrong. Like, why? I mean, you're not a bad person. You're not evil. See, just because you're wrong, you're just wrong. So get over it, right? (laughs) See, and they'll say, I'm just not going to admit it. Admit it. Everybody else knows you're wrong. So just admit it. Come on. You're not fooling everybody, right? Get over yourself. You know, why do we have to be right? I just don't get it. I've been counseling 31 years in May. It'll be 31 years. And I'm amazed at all the people that I see that won't admit they're wrong. And they'll tell you. They're like real proud of it. Well, you know, I just hate to be wrong. Oh, really? (laughs) Join the real world. Because in the real world, everybody's wrong occasionally. It's okay to be wrong occasionally. That just means you're human and you're normal. But if you have to be right, that means you're pushing your thoughts, your ideas, your values on the people around you. And this will eventually cause people, what? To distance himself from you. 
You know how people vote on whether they like you or not? They vote with their feet. They either stay or they leave. When I'm around people that are really difficult and I'm not working, I just walk away. See you. I don't say it's nice seeing you either because <laughs> I don't lie, right? <laughs> I just walk away. Okay, I'll see you. You mean you're leaving? Yeah. Why are you leaving? Just want to leave. You don't have to explain yourself, right? Come on, we have power. Okay. <clears throat> if you think that you have to know everything and always have to be right, you'll stay stressed out and uptight. Man, it was such a relief for me when I realized that I didn't have to know everything. When I was a young guy, okay, and, and I was pastoring a church, I'm like 23 years old, and I'm the senior pastor of a small church. And I thought I had to know everything about everything. I'm like the dumbest guy in the church, if the truth were known, okay? And so I was always trying to fake it till I could make it. You heard that expression? A lot of people do that. See, and preachers are just as guilty as everybody else because we don't know that it's okay that you don't have to know everything. I mean, what did I know at 23 compared to people that are 50 and 60 and 70 years old? They forgot more than I ever learned. But I used to stay stressed all the time and nervous, always thinking they were going to going to ask me stuff. And I remember when I did my first funeral, uh, the guy had committed suicide. He found his wife was having an affair, and he took his life. And so I did the funeral, and he was a Christian, okay, and was a member of my church. And so I did the funeral, and I talked about he's in heaven now. And his, his father came over to me at the graveside, and he said, I just want you to know I'm an atheist, and I don't believe one word you said today. I said, well, it's true whether you believe it or not. See? And I just told him, I said, look, I don't know everything, but there are a few things I do know, and I do know that your son is in heaven. And what I said helped the rest of his family. And you don't have to believe it, but it's still true. See, so we don't have to know everything, and it's okay. People like you if you don't try to know everything. Do you know that? Because they don't know everything. They feel like, oh, I, I can relate to him. In fact, I used to not like to be around religious people. That people would act real holy all the time. And they would use all kind of religious phraseology. I'd think, you know, they have a whole different language in a church that the world doesn't even relate to. We walk out in the world saying, hallelujah, praise God, and everything. They're looking at you like, the guy's flipped out, man. He's got a loose screw. <laughs> but if you just walk up to people, you're normal. Hey, how you doing, man? Everything going okay? Cool. Give them a good handshake. Like, you're normal, see? And they respect you. Okay, the last one, and this is a biggie, is the fox of selfishness. Gosh, of all the things that bother, that bother me about people, it's when they're selfish. When I was real young, God convicted me of being selfish. So I'm about 27, and so God showed me that I was a selfish person. And so I promised God that for the next year to break the act of selfishness in my own life, I would buy lunch every time I went out with a person for the next year. And word got around, man. Everybody wanted to go to lunch with me because I always bought. <laughs> like, he's easy, man. He's real easy. Go with him. <laughs> He'll take you to a good place, too, not the jack in the box, right? <laughs> this guy eats real food <laughs> at really nice restaurants. And I broke the selfishness in my life. And I learned that's better to give than to receive. But when you're around selfish people, you know, they view the world from what's called an egocentric point of view. Egocentric means you're self centered. All you're concerned with is your life and what happens to you. And you don't realize there's a whole big world out here, right? There are all kinds of people out here. 
besides us. We're not the only ones around here, okay? And so the antithesis of a complete godly Christian life is selfishness. You know, and, and I watch people, and they're like, they don't tip very good. And I don't tip very good if I get bad service. Don't get me wrong, okay? But if I get good service, I always tip well, okay? And I, I try to, like, show that I'm a giving, caring person. So God wants us to be other-centered, to realize that there's a whole world of people out here that need to be cared about, and they want us to show some interest in their life and some kindness in their life. And so when we go out of our way to do something, just to extend ourselves a little bit for people, it's amazing how they respond back to us. And, and they're just so refreshed. John 3.16 says it all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God loved the world so much that he gave his son to die for our sins. Matthew 5, 42 says, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Luke 6, 38, I love this. It's one of my favorite scriptures. The New Living Translation says, if you give, you will receive. See, that's a promise. You know, if I need money, you know what I do? I give over and above my tithe and offering. If I need kindness, I give more kindness. If I need time, I give more time to somebody. And God always returns what we give in the same way. And so, it's a promise, man. If you need stuff, just start giving away stuff and see what happens. You can give your way out of poverty. Did you know that? When I meet people who haven't worked in, in several weeks or months, I think, what is the problem here, man? I've been working since the day I was born. I think I was born working, okay? I got laid off one time at this job. I laid off 3,600 people. This was before I was a therapist. I was, a, I was an HR guy. And we had 4,000 employees, and we laid off 3,600 of them one year, okay? At the end of the year, there's nobody else to lay off, so they laid me off. You couldn't get a job anywhere in my profession. It was all in gas. It was a big crunch, just like we're having now. This is 1982. But I went out, and I found nine different jobs, nine in the next five weeks. And ended up getting a huge promotion, became manager of international compensation. And I called this company downtown, and the guy said, I've interviewed... 22 people, I've narrowed it down to three. If you can be here in one hour, I'll interview you. Man, I broke every record on the highway driving downtown. <laughs> I got there, and he hired me, see, but it was just God. And see, God is always in control. When you think there's no work out there, there's tons of work. One of my friends was saying, there's just no work, there's no jobs. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Drive over to Highway 45 in the morning and stay there between 6.30 and 7.30 and ask yourself, where are all of these people going? You think there's no work? There's millions of people driving out there. There's work everywhere. See? And in Isaiah 45, write this down. Isaiah 45, 3, it says, I will reveal to you the treasures hidden in darkness. See, there's all kind of treasure out there. It's in the dark, and you don't know where it is. But God said he will reveal it, see, in his time and his way. And then the second part of it is just as good. It says, and I will reveal to you the treasures stored up for you in hidden and secret places. See? So God's got your job out there, and it's a secret. You don't know where it is, but God knows. And since we get on our knees and call upon God, he can give us ideas and thoughts about where to go and where to interview and, and how to get work and how to get money and how to do all the stuff that we need to do in our life. See? But the key is to give, 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 and then God gives back. I want to read this to you. If you give, see, if you give, it's conditional. You will receive. 
your gift will return to you how? In full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and even running over. It's the idea that you're out here in the fall and you're raking up all these leaves in a black bag and you fill it up and then you shake it and you press them down. Then you rake up some more and you put it in there. You shake it down, you press it down, and you keep doing this until you just can't get another leaf in there. That's the idea that God has on the way he wants to take care of us and bless us. He says, and running over, watch this next verse. This will secure you or really help you. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. This is profoundly important, see? So if you need more, you've got to give more. If you need a whole cup full, don't give a thimble because you're going to be measured back with what you measured out. You're going to get a thimble back. That's what the Word of God says. But if you need a cup full, give a cup full, okay? Every farmer in the world knows this. If he wants 100 ears of corn, he needs to plant 100 seeds, right? Not five seeds. And so this works in the world. So the way we break our selfishness is by giving. All right, in conclusion, I want to say this. <clears throat> See, what we've been talking about is the irritants of life that eat away and gnaw away and chew away on our life. Probably every one of us has some area in our life that we need to confess to God and ask God to just forgive us of and to help us with. I'm going to ask all of y'all to stand down, the musicians to come on up. Okay? And we're going to have an altar call. I'd ask that nobody looks around. But as we sing, I'm going to ask you, if, if you'd like to just come forward and pray tonight and say, God, I have this little fox in my life that's really giving me a hard time, but I just want to confess it. I want to make it right with you. I want to surrender my will over to you. And I repent of this, and I thank you that you've forgiven me. And I want to walk out of this church tonight being fully cleansed and know that it was good to be in the house of the Lord, that I learned something that helped me, that I'm cleansed and that I'm freed from this irritant. And I'm not going to let any foxes have any more room in my life ever again.